Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. Thank you so much, Marla. We talked a minute ago about gifts and everything, and I, you know, it's easy to go ahead and say, well, obviously she has a gift of being able to to sing, and that's that's something that we can give thanks for. But there's something more than that, guys. Uh, she has a gift from God, the ability to sing. You have gifts from God. Bringing God glory through the gifts he gives you. Now, this is not the sermon. This is free. You all get this. This is completely free. Being able to use and give God glory through what he has given you is the heart about how you and I live our lives. We're going to be talking this morning about a fella who, who struggled to do that, that very thing. And, and we're going to take... I, I want to... <laughs> I want to go ahead and start off by by asking you a question. Do you know this guy? Do you know this guy? Okay. Who who is it? That's Martin Luther. Okay. It it it's actually a picture of Martin Luther when he was about 55 years old. And before you kind of go, "Oh no, Clyde's going on with church history again." Boring. Martin Luther is actually the fellow that was in he, he was a priest he was he was a son of the church he was a priest uh, a professor he was heavily involved in religion he was at church every single Sunday and most of the other days as well he was a Catholic priest listen to me he performed 14 masses that would be services like what we're doing right now, 14 of them every week. That's a lot. Now, Father Eli over here at Christ Our Light, I asked him, I said, how many, how many services do you personally oversee during, during your week? And he said six. That's a lot too. But Martin Luther had a problem, and the problem was he could not understand and come to grips with the fact that God could forgive him of everything that he knew he had done. He kind of struggled with that. Isn't there some way that God wants you and me to go ahead and plug ourselves into something that will help us work out and do some things that will make us feel better about ourselves and about becoming God's child. In other words, can we go ahead and do something that will kind of even the score of our sin debt and make it to where we feel like we really participated in getting us where we need to be? And he could never come to grips with that. He desperately tried to earn forgiveness from God and never felt worthy. And in 1510... Martin Luther scaled the 28 steps of the stairs called Scala Sancta on his knees in order to gain a plenary indulgence to cover up his sin. And when he finished doing that, it was on his knees. These are marble steps. You can still go to them. Right now they're closed because they're trying to go ahead and and refurbish that area. But these these steps have, have little 
cups in them, the marble steps, because so many people over so many centuries have on their knees gone one to another all the way up. And after every step, he would say an Our Father, and then the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. And supposedly, according to one of the popes that had, that had preceded him, he, he said, if you do this, for every step you are given nine years forgiveness for all of the things you've done. Let me share with you this, folks. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that that actually happens. We're not saved by our efforts. And at the end of the 28 steps, as he got to the top, one of the people that was with Luther turned to him and said, now you are forgiven. Now you're okay. And these are the words that Luther said, who knows if what I just did did any good? Does doing good works make any difference in your life? Is there any benefit to your eternity by doing religious things? We're sending a group to Honduras in a few weeks to do mission work. Joe is also taking our teenagers to do mission work here in Navasota in a couple of weeks. Let me ask you this. Is any of that really necessary? Will it help your soul? Or like Luther, who knows if this does anything good? There's an answer. And it's found in God's Word, the Bible. The writer of Hebrews has talked about God's election for you and me. Your decision to follow His election. The purpose of Christ being the only sacrifice for sin. We're going to read this morning out of Hebrews chapter 10. This wonderful verse that answers the very question that Luther had. And the question that maybe you and I sometimes struggle with is all of what we do religiously really necessary. I'm going to invite you to stand together as we read God's Word together. We stand because we are honoring God's holy and perfect Word. And I'm going to invite you to read with me out of Hebrews chapter 10. It says these words, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever gotten an invitation to a gathering? I mean, a, a, a really formal one. What about this invitation? God desires your presence at a banquet in His honor. Would you go? Would you go? God desires your presence at a banquet in His honor. Now this is a formal 
way of saying, hey, come to a party that, that is being held. But it's actually throughout the New Testament, the very words that God offers for you and me. I want you to go ahead and be at a banquet that is in the honor of the Most High God. By the way, when you and I take the Lord's Supper, Jesus, when, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and took, took the cup, and he said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood, it is shed for the remission of sin. That, is, that, that means not the covering it up, but the complete taking away of not only the power of sin, but the, the, the penalty of sin, but the power of sin over your life and mine. And when he did this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And then in one of the gospel accounts, it is very clear that he says, this is something we remember back, looking behind us. We remember right now. And we remember because it is going to happen again when you and I get into heaven. If you remember the parable that Jesus talked about where he said, it was a king that invited all of these people. And some of the people would come and some of the people would say, ah, I've got work to do, I've got an ox in the ditch, I've got this, I've got to go ahead and fix the car, I've got all these things that I've got to do. And Jesus finally said, you know, what God did is is he invited people that were nobodies, people like you and me, the nobodies in this world, to come and fill his banquet table. Good news is, folks, the nobodies like you and me get invited to a place called heaven. And this is the invitation God gives us. I want you to come to a banquet. Your presence at this banquet is in in the honor of the Most High God. You're invited to the very throne of God. You didn't earn the invitation by your social standing or social acumen. It comes via God's desire to have you in His presence. He loves you this morning that very much. He wants you to be with Him. Some of you may be here and saying, I don't know that I want to go ahead. What's the real point of going to heaven? If there really is a heaven, why in the world would I want to be there? And if, if doing things that I've got to do to get me to heaven will get me to heaven, what in the world is it? Why in the world do I even have to be at church if the Bible says that it is a free gift, which it is, and that God goes ahead and gives it openly for all? Why in the world do you have to be here from 10.30 to 11, well, it's going to be longer, 11.30 on a Sunday morning? Does it do you any good? Well, if you and I read that scripture carefully, you find out that it says we are to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some have come to do. You see, the reason for that and the reason you're invited to this great banquet is that your invitation is not sent in the normal way. It's not sent in the mail. The invitation is not in the mail. The Bible spends a lot of time speaking about grace. All right, do you all remember the definition of grace? Let's go over it again. What is grace? Grace is getting better than I deserve. Okay, say it again. Grace is getting better than I deserve. What do you and I deserve? Well, the Bible's real clear. It says that you and I deserve a place called hell. Our sin is a barrier that we can't crawl over, dig under, or somehow bust through to get to heaven and get to God. The Bible says instead what God did is He sent His only begotten Son here for you and me to die on a cross in our place. That's called a substitutionary atonement. 
big words that simply means God loved you enough to realize we couldn't reach Him, but He could reach you. So what He did is He sent His Son down here on earth to live in flesh just like you and me without the penalty of sin. He, He lived a sinless life so that He could take on your sin, your sin, your sin, and my sin on the cross, died there perfectly whole in our place. That's what it means to go ahead and understand the work that Christ did. And when that happens, that invitation is not in the grace, the Bible says, is that thing that through faith we end up we end up going ahead and accepting that God did this for us and then believing that it was enough to pay for our sin. So let's kind of do some math here. When I first came to First Baptist Church, Navasota, this is how long I've been here, Highway 6 going up to College Station was two lane. It was being built and rebuilt. And one of the one of our church fathers here said, "Now, uh, Clyde, you understand that when you're driving through there, it's 55 miles an hour, and whatever you do, do not go faster than 55 miles an hour, because there were police all over. Do y'all remember that? There were cops everywhere." And then the first Sunday I preached here, the next day I went to go see Martha Herod because she was up in, in the med and she was she was sick and Bill was up there with her and I'm driving on, we were living right over there in, the, in their little grandmother house and I got in my car and I headed up there and guess what? There was a cop that was out there and he was pulled over uh, in, in, the, in the middle of those big orange drums and he's sitting over there, and I was going 53 miles an hour. I remember that because I looked down at my, I saw him, I looked down. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. There's a problem. In Texas, Texas law says that you are to yield the right of way to a, to a police officer who's pulled over. He didn't have lights on. He was sitting over there off the road. And as I went by him, there were cars all around me. I couldn't have gotten over anyway. It says that if you can't get around him, you have to drop 20 miles below the speed. I know I'm going on and on and on, but you need to listen to this. You need to hear this. There was injustice done. And so I'm driving along, and all of a sudden I see the lights. I'm like, well, okay. And I pull over, and this guy pulls up next to me, and he said, did you see my car? Yes, sir, I did. And he said, do you know how fast you were going? Actually, I do. And he said, have you been drinking? Now, if you're a Baptist minister and somebody asks you that question, what do you think you're going to say? I looked and it was like 9 o'clock in the morning and I kind of laughed and I thought, well, I'm going to just kind of cut up a little bit with him. And I said, well, it's a little early for that. And besides, I'm a Baptist minister, and so likely that would not be something my church would really... And he goes, give me your license and registration and your proof of insurance. Okay. I hand that all out to him. He goes back. He comes back. I'm writing you a ticket. It's doubled because you're in a work zone. He wrote out, you know how much that ticket was? $697. Wait, it gets better. So I, I'm, I'm like, 
I didn't even know I did anything wrong. He goes, Tara's not, he said, where's your address? And I said, well, we just moved here last week. Well, where are you living? Well, I don't really know the address, but here's a business card from the First Baptist Church in Navasota. You can write the ticket as the address to that. He writes it out. And he goes, you just moved here? Yes, sir. Florida driver's license. And he said, welcome to Texas. Hands it to me. And so I'm going, what in the heck do I do? So I did what normal people do. I called Linda. She was the only attorney that I knew at the time. And Linda said, this is past my pay grade. Go talk to, uh, to Joe Falco. And so I talked to Joe Falco. Here's what happened. I found out later. Joe called the DA up in, in Brazos County where it happened. And he calls and he says, you know, hey, this it's my preacher, you know, he did this. And the DA wrote me a letter and he said, you need to understand that the police, that, that the constable that stopped you is having a very bad time in his life. And he said, he was put on this duty. This guy wrote me this life, still have it. He said, he was put on this duty because he's not doing well in a lot of his areas of his life. This is... I share this with you because I've seen this constable since, and he and I have made up. I'm going to share with you that when we have things in our life that become that become wrongdoing, and we think, I will go and I will do something that will make me feel better, but I don't know if it does anything for my soul to make my, my eternal life with God better. It gives you and me the opportunity to go ahead and take take a look at our lives and say, you know, when bad things happen to us, God, do I just get mad about it and that's sin? Or do I go ahead and say, there's something else going on here? Well, when I found out this from the, this letter from the district attorney, it made perfect sense why this guy was in such a bad mood. He knew I couldn't have gotten over. He knew that I that there wasn't anything I could do. He could see that my from my Florida driver's license, I wasn't yet a Texan. And later on, that same man pulled over a car full of folks that were very dangerous on Highway 159, and I happened to be driving by. He had four people that were spread out, none of which were obeying him. And I pulled him behind him, and I said, you need some help. And evidently these people, I, look, I look like a, a six-foot-four-inch diabetic pastor, okay? The only thing I got going for me is I'm tall. And I get out, and I had a short haircut, and I said, hey, you need some help? And these four people immediately became, they got Jesus, and they got very obedient. And they got on the ground, and it was hot asphalt. It was like September. And they're laying there in the hot asphalt on 159. And he said, thank you, I've got this. And later on I saw him and he said, you're the guy that pulled over. And I said, and you're the guy that gave me the $697 ticket. And he said, what? And I told him about that. Guys, the invitation that God gives you to grace getting better than you deserve. It isn't in the mail. Instead, what it is done is it is in the nails. 
It is in the nails that Jesus Christ hung on a cross with. That's where we get our invitation to grace. When we read this story, this account from the writer of Hebrews, he goes again and again. He says, look, since we have this great, great, great grace that God gives us, let us draw near to God then. Let us go to the throne room. And we don't get this by doing good things. We get it by the grace of Almighty God for the great things He did, not what we did. It's in the nails. When Jesus died for your sin, the penalty, that is hell, was done away with. The guilt was done away with as well. If you look in verse 22, the writer of Hebrews makes a point to tell you and me that guilt is not from God. Guilt is not. Instead, the one that opposes God, the one that wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything about God wants you to carry around the sack of rocks that is called guilt. It weighs you down. It burdens and hinders you from moving fast for God. And it tells you that God doesn't care. That's what guilt does. God doesn't want you to go ahead and walk away this morning carrying that same bag of rocks with you out of this worship time. He wants to free you and loose you from your past. And that, has, that comes from, it, from an invitation that God wants to give you. And that invitation is not a one and done time. This isn't an invitation for a one-time event in your life where you walk an aisle, get in a baptistry, and say, okay, now I'm forgiven. I have my fire insurance and I can do anything I want for the rest of my life. That's not what God's Word says. If you read Hebrews chapter 10, you find out that God doesn't want you to get serious about Him for only a moment of your life, but to be with Him and let Him be with you every step. That means grace is poured out to you and me and through from God, through Jesus' death on the cross, for every occasion of your life, there will never be too little grace to cover your sin or a need to get more grace. It is sufficient. And that's why when Jesus hung on the cross, He said these very words, It is finished. All of the work's done. Now that's good news for you and me. That was good news for my constable friend, too. Because when I reminded him of that, he'd forgotten. He'd forgotten. Let me tell you what the Bible says about our wrongdoing, our sin. The Bible says that when, when you and I sin and we turn our lives over to Christ, and by the way, turning your life over to Christ doesn't mean joining a church. It means inviting Christ to come into your life. When you do that, the Bible says God separates you from your sin as far as east is from west. I always get this wrong. Close enough. As far as east is from west. And he remembers it no more. He, he doesn't remember your past. I talked to this, when I said those words to the constable, I said, you wrote me a ticket for I wrote a lot of tickets. He didn't remember. I'm going to share with you. It taught me a lesson. As God's trying to take me through grace, I'm still mad about it. Okay? 
Can you tell I'm still just a little upset about it 12 years later? That grace, God's trying to go in and say, hey, look, I've forgotten about your sin, Clyde. Why don't you let some of this baggage, this guilt, this sack of rocks, why don't you let some of that go? Well, guys, in your life and mine, we need to let go of those rocks, that guilt. And the invitation God gives is not simply a one-and-done deal where we come and we get right with God and then we say, okay, now I can do anything I want. It's not a license to sin. You see, instead, God wants more than just an hour on Sunday morning. If religion made it easy as getting your account squared once a week from 10.30 till noon on Sunday, I personally, Pastor Clyde, would be all for that. But grace complicates everything. When Jesus died on the cross, you and I found forgiveness. Not only that, God chose to offer you that forgiveness. And that forgiveness is not just a once a week thing. As you and I go through this week, there will be plenty of times where we stumble, we cuss, we think ungodly thoughts, and grace is there for that too. What also is there is God's Holy Spirit that challenges you and me to have a time with God past church on Sunday morning and to get into the Bible on our own and to pray on your own, not simply going ahead and saying, well, I'll wait for somebody else to pray. And by the way, let's talk about prayer for just a second. Prayer is not you trying to impress God. Don't say, dear God, thouest are the greatest God there iseth. Talk to God in language that you use. Now, I'm going to go ahead and abbreviate something that I hope everybody that is over the age of consent will understand this morning. I had a guy that I I led to Christ back in Florida. Wonderful, wonderful fella that had lived without God for about 50 years. And he had some interesting language. And so when I said we can pray to God and we simply talk to him in, 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 in normal words, he said, well, I don't know how to pray. But he said, you want me to talk to God? I'll talk to God. God, I don't know what in the is going on here, but apparently I need to be forgiven. So God, if you're really there, then I want you to be able to forgive me so I don't go to... And not only that, God, Clyde says that I need to ask you to go ahead and put your Holy Spirit in me so that I will start living the life I'm supposed to live instead of the life I was living last week. This is exact words. I loved it. That is a prayer that God can hear and honor because you're not trying to throw anything up there that is cover and religiosity. You're being honest with God. And my friend was. You and I, when we pray, should be praying not just on Sunday mornings and not just when we eat, but also a time where we go ahead and let God take you and me to the woodshed of our life to pray on our own, to change and allow Him to change us outside of these walls and inside the life that you live outside of church on Sunday morning. You see, the Bible says He desires that you and I draw near. Verse 22, again, it's loaded. It says we can draw near because Christ has cleared out a place next to God for you. 
I was watching Ginger this morning. Ginger's up here and she's doing the children's sermon. Children's sermon is always kind of fun because I watch you all and y'all laugh. There was one little girl up here, okay, and she turned, and I don't know who she was waving at, but she turned and she went. I don't know who she, I don't, I'm looking around for, I didn't see her right. She's waving, and I can see moms, I can just think of the moms or dads with somebody going, oh, my kid. Let me tell you what. There was a place cleared out up here for all those little boys and girls. There's a place for you cleared out at the throne room of God. Jesus has a place just for you. It's really kind of interesting when we think about that because He didn't just simply say, Y'all come! He gives a personal invitation for you to be a part of God's family. He desires that you draw near to Him. And by the way, that action, when you read it in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that we have to be the people. That as God has invited us, we have to respond to that invitation and draw near to Him. And the drawing near does not mean I get in the same proximity. Drawing near means I get near near so that I get up right. I have the privilege of getting right close, really close like bad breath, close. Drawing near to God is not only a command that we have, but it also provides for you and me. How do you do that? It's not by trying harder and turning over a new leaf and not by doing religious things. It's not by singing hymns and giving your tithe, although Worth Ferguson told me that giving your tithe is an important part of your walk with God. It is simply bowing your head and saying to God, please make me like your son Jesus. And that is a lifelong endeavor. It is not accomplished in one hour, one day a week. You see, once you are near, the Bible says that you should stay near and stay here. Decide that this is a lifetime decision, not church, but instead Jesus. What happened with Martin Luther? the guy that we showed the picture of earlier on. He began to understand that it was not his actions that ended up getting him a a right place and a promise of heaven. He began to understand that it was what God had done and that only. And so he developed these things that were called the solas, sola fidelis, faith only, sola scriptura, the Bible only, as the source of where we get our information about what God wants you and me to do. And then he began, listen to me, not to leave church because it was broken, but he began to try to go ahead and make the church that he served as pastor to become what God wanted it to become. And unfortunately, there were folks in the church that said, we want nothing of that. He was the founder of what we call now the Reformation. And that Reformation was not to go ahead and screw things up for the existing church. It was to try to make it into what God had intended it to be. What is church supposed to be? Guys, listen to me. If you miss everything else, it's this. It is a a group of 
followers of Jesus Christ that meet together. They could do it independently. God can speak to you without coming to church. But we gather together for the very reasons that it says in that scripture, to encourage one another to do the good works that God has for us to do. If we do that as a group, we can have a greater impact in Navasota than we could ever do by having one guy standing in one pulpit preaching the gospel for a bunch of people that will not come to hear it here at First Baptist. But when we leave these, these, this particular meeting hall and we go out into that, we are dispersed and God can begin to use you to reach your friends, your family, with the gospel and the peace of Jesus Christ far past what one pastor could ever do in a lifetime of work. That's why it's important that church is doing what God wants us to do. Got another picture for you as we close. Do you know this guy? Do you know him? He grew up in the toughest household in America. His dad was a preacher. Not just a preacher, but the preacher. His dad was Billy Graham. That's Franklin Graham. Franklin grew up doing the normal preacher's stereotypical thing. He was a hellion, but one that did it quietly without attracting notice of his bad behavior. He recoiled at those people. He, he, he writes in his autobiography, he recoiled at people that would come up to him and say, hey, do you want to go ahead and follow your daddy into the ministry? Don't you want to do that? Man, it must be so good growing up in Billy Graham's household. He recoiled at that. He bucked at the notion of faith in anything, especially a dad that he felt was frequently gone from his life and his childhood. It all came to a head here in our very state of Texas, out in West Texas where a sheriff pulled him over for speeding and found a young man that was running from God and from his family. You can read about it in Franklin Graham's book, Rebel with a Cause. He knew about the place God had for him at the throne that was bought by Jesus' death on the cross. He knew about forgiveness from both his family and friends and from God. What he didn't know was there were a sea of people that were praying for him to discover the price that Jesus paid to buy back his life. People are praying for you this morning. For you to discover the very thing that Franklin Graham discovered. That God loves you and that He wants you to draw near to Him. It is not too late. And much like Martin Luther, instead of I don't know that it will make any difference or be any good, it will make all the difference in the way you live your life for the remaining days. Let's pray. Father, in the next few minutes, it's time to decide in our lives what we really believe, who we really want to be God over everything that's going on. It's time to go ahead and decide whether we want Jesus as our Lord and Savior, whether there's a church home that we could plug into to encourage and to go to and, and to be used 
in a powerful way. Not to do religious things, but to do Your things. Father, in the next few minutes, during this time of invitation, where You extend to us the chance to go ahead and say, I want to go ahead and take You into my family. And we have the opportunity to respond. I pray our answer will be yes. We won't walk out of here carrying the same sack of rocks that we walked in with. This is your time. Holy Spirit, you work and you draw men and women and boys and girls to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand together. If God is speaking to you about a decision that needs to be made or that you have made to follow Christ, I'd love to pray with you about it here at our altar. During this song, you come as God leads.